0: This is World Beyond War, a new podcast. All right, welcome to the October episode of the World Beyond War podcast. My name is Greta Zaro. I'm the organizing director for World Beyond War, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Mark Elliott Stein. Hi, Mark. Hi, Greta. And our special guest today is Barry Sweeney, who is our Ireland chapter coordinator, Today's episode will be focusing on our latest conference, No War 2019, which was held on October 5 and 6 in Limerick, Ireland. Barry was really the head of this conference, organizing it over the past several months, culminating just last week in Limerick. We had over 150 people there at the conference talking about our campaigns to end war on this planet. So welcome, Barry.
1: Thanks very much, Greta. Nice to see you again. It was a great experience last week, um, although I'm kind of happy I've had a few sleeps since then.
0: <laughs> Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the conference? Um, why were we organizing it in Limerick, and what was your role?
1: You know, Ireland is a neutral country, or viewed as a neutral country, um, certainly by most of the people in Ireland, when the reality is, even as some of our speakers highlighted in, in great detail, the far-reaching fingers of the military-industrial complex uh, are is far into Ireland. It's softer in Ireland uh, than in other countries, it's not quite so obvious, but it is most definitely there and was very important to illustrate or to highlight um, how much we are involved in illegal wars, in profiteering from war, uh, and how we've lost our sovereign nation. We no longer control our own borders and you know foreign militaries are using our our, uh, shannon airport as civilian airport so it was to highlight ireland's involvement in the war machine was why we went down to to limerick specifically because of the use of shannon airport
0: yeah it was definitely eye-opening for me and i think for many of the conference participants who did not previously know about that sort of complicity between the irish government and the u.s military and the fact that correct me if i'm wrong but millions of U.S. troops, right, in the millions, have come through Shannon Uh, Airport on their way to wars in the Middle East.
1: Exactly. I believe the count is at about three million now at the moment, which, and these are battle troops going to active war zones. You know, they're not going uh, to peacekeeping missions or any other humanitarian aid war. They have arms on them, they have guns on them. Um, and they're going right through what supposedly is a, a neutral nation. So it, it is, it's, it's quite shocking. And then listening to some of the speakers, just when you're getting the most up-to-date information, like Claire Daly, although she couldn't make the conference, uh, she did send us a, a video she pre-recorded about the militarization of Europe. And the budgets in, in Europe and how much money is spent on militarization as opposed to ecological protection. Um, it was just amazing to see where the priorities are, where the money is really going, uh, how much money, money is going into militaristic lobbying in the EU as opposed to green projects. And just seeing how imbalanced the whole situation is and to see where our leaders really are bringing us.
2: Barry, I'd love to know what the level of awareness in Ireland is about US use of Ireland's airports.
1: Um it's not really spoken about very much. Possibly in down around the Shannon region in County Clare, uh, County Limerick, but it's not really in the uh, the mainstream conversation. You won't go to a hear it on a bus or in a shop or a hotel. The reality is the Irish government is being very underhand um, and sneaky to the Irish population. In, in 2006, um, the American army actually offered to leave uh, or to stop the military's, the military's use of Shannon Airport. And we found that out through some Wikileaks, some cables that Wikileaks released um, 10 years ago or so. And the Irish government told the American military not to go because they didn't want the protesters to know that they'd won. So it's not, things are not very clear. Things are held back in the dark. Um, the, the, the people of Ireland aren't treated with transparency and honesty. They're, and they're, 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 they're trying to fool the nation, to be frankly honest. Um Even just going back to PESCO, like all the European nations are delighted with the formation of PESCO. They're celebrating it. You know, Macron talks about it. They all talk about it It's in the newspapers. They think it's so important that Europe has an army in these modern days with the other large militaristic threats out there. Meanwhile, in Ireland, the government says uh, nothing to look at here, folks. Move along. We read international papers. We know there is a European army, but the Irish government doesn't really admit it. Even though we, we are sending battle troops, you know, to go into Mali to help other foreign interests, you know, extract wealth from other nations, like happened to us for hundreds of years. I can't believe that the Irish government is supporting this type of behavior. It's
2: it's shocking. the The term Pesco was not even familiar to me. I'm I'm slightly embarrassed about that until I went to this conference. And I wonder if um, people outside Europe. Know about the controversy over Pesco? Could you just explain what that is, Barry? Uh, well, Pesco is the permanent
1: European structured cooperative organisation. I'm not quite sure what the last word is. Uh, it is the amalgamation of battle groups from oh, the European members to form a standing European army. Um, I think by 2022. Uh, They're hoping to have 200,000 soldiers uh, ready to go all the time. Uh, Now, Europe's never had an army before, Um, so this is a very new development, and it's it's really of um, great importance, and uh, they're clearly trying to hide it. Um, So how well aware people are of this situation, I, I would have my doubts, to be frankly honest.
0: So this was World Beyond War's fourth annual global conference, and it was actually our first time doing it in Europe. So we were able to bring attention to these very issues that we're talking about in a new way. And I think for me and for many of the conference participants looking at the feedback that we've gotten One of the most powerful parts of the conference was actually the last part, the the peaceful nonviolent action that we did outside of Shannon Airport. And we always try to pair our conferences with a nonviolent action. So we have two days of discussions and talks and networking, and then we put that into action. Bari, could you talk a little bit more about what that action looked like outside of Shannon Airport?
1: Yeah, I I also really enjoyed that myself. it we met we went from the conference over to the airport some carpooling some in, in buses uh where we had uh, the evening previously set up a little peace camp some people actually slept there in tents and we had a little um, i don't know what you call it a bowl with a fire um so when we arrived the next day it it already looked quite homely um you know and there was quite a lot of banners and things put out um we then walked from the peace camp as far as the airport where we requested uh, from the um, police on duty that they search um, any military planes that were in Shannon Airport at the time. They refused. They have to refuse. That's what's going to happen. And we stayed there for, I'm not quite sure how long it was, almost an hour, certainly 45 minutes singing songs and um, making some speeches and um, what i really enjoyed about it was the peaceful aspect of it um, I, I think it's very important when we are organizing uh, protests not to antagonize people like when we were there we we just blocked one half of the road so that other cars could still go in and out from the airport could still catch their flights could still get on with their lives Um, Because I don't feel that antagonizing, we want to connect with the public. We want people, we want families to be able to come to our events. We want to be, um, you know, we don't want to um, upset people and alienate ourselves from people at all. So I was very happy that it was uh, nicely organized, very peaceful. I myself called the police five days beforehand to inform them what we were planning so that they wouldn't be surprised and suddenly turn up aggressive a nice peaceful protest uh, so i was very happy that that uh part of it went very well uh, and another part that i really really liked was what um edward horgan uh, had organized um through his initiative of naming the children that's trying to name all the children that have been lost in middle eastern wars uh, over the last 20 years or so Um which very, very saddening. saddeningly, he has arrived at a number of almost one million children. Um, and the symbol, like he brought along a lot of empty shoes to represent uh, all the children, not all the children, but some of the children lost in the Middle East. And I, I really thought that brought the the symbolism of, you know, the, the lives lost in war. And it's not just this statistic or some big number 900,000 you know I can't even understand what 900,000 children look like Uh, but when you can see some shoes there and you can picture it and you can imagine little children standing in those shoes I really thought that was a powerful image uh, and I really really uh, thought that was a wonderful addition to the protest.
0: Yeah, I agree. That was a very powerful image and not something that I've seen used before at other actions. And especially when we dragged those shoes behind us as we were marching and then delivered them in front of the p- police who just sort of stared at us blindly and, and didn't give us any emotional response.
1: Well, the police as well, You know, some of them might be sympathetic to us, but they're on duty and they're told, you know, you don't sympathize or you don't antagonize. You know, they just stand there straight-faced you know they weren't aggressive with us and yet they weren't sympathetic with us they were just neutral for the day they fulfilled their role and i also think that's being peaceful you know who knows maybe there are a few sympathetic people there and they might begin to think oh you know these people aren't so bad i really don't like um actions that are antagonistic uh, or that are designed to be provocative particularly um you know i don't think that's the the route to go down so i was really really happy with how that part went all right
2: Barry, I talked to another Irish person there. I wish I remembered his name. And I at the protest, and I asked him, "So where where do you think the the police are on this? Where, are, whose side are they on?" And he actually said he thinks that they're going to keep a stone face. They're going to show no expression here, but when they go home to their families, they're going to say that they approved of it. I would I, say I'm some on. do. Yeah. I, yes. I hope he was right. And you know, having been to many protests in the United States, I was actually. I'm very curious to see what a different police force's sort of personality would be like. And I I did also sense that there was no hostility and I've I've seen plenty of hostility from American police forces, as well as often in, in the United States, also sometimes police forces that are sympathetic. But there sure is a difference and I was glad to see that. Yeah,
1: everybody's a person
2: at the end of the day and they saw those empty shoes too. I'd like to ask you, Bari, and and this is sometimes difficult for anti war activists or any other activists to talk about themselves, but I'm really curious what is it um, that made you become an anti war activist? Uh,
1: That's a good question. Um, Well, it's a recent enough development. Um, I got involved with World Beyond War in 2016, I took the online course. Just by chance, searching around online, looking for courses to do. I I like doing courses. I came across the um, War Abolition 101, and I did the course. And by the end of the course, I uh, decided that I should be uh, involved, uh, actively involved in trying to create a a more peaceful world and trying to move the world past. Um, It's very dangerous teething problems, um, as we to grow up from our teenage years Uh, like previously i was involved in um climate issues and permaculture and these are still very important issues the real reason i i got into peace issues was because i can see that the climate movement is already quite trendy there are any number of groups and thousands of people who are active and it's, it's people talk about you go to a pub, people will talk about climate issues, you know, that's in the mainstream. Uh, I find the peace movement is never spoken about and really, um, there's a lot less people involved in it. Um, So that's where I see the greatest need for people to get involved. Um, And um, I just decided that war was where I needed to lean my shoulder.
2: Do you have many um, compatriots?
1: I, I do. Um, almost all the people I speak to are, you know, can em- emphasise or connect with what I'm saying. They don't all see how they can get involved. Um, I, I think sometimes it, it might appear uh, just a little difficult to figure out how can I get involved in the peace movement? What can I do? Who am I? And in fact, the very first panel with the chapter coordinators, we all. Um, spoke about why we started becoming involved with World Beyond War. Uh, I found that to be very motivating to hear other people's emotions about how they'd connected with our movement, how they had felt the need to do something. Um, and these were just ordinary people with ordinary lives, with jobs. Uh, and I, I thought that was a nice point that you know most of them had jobs. You know, I've you know some people who don't agree with what I'm doing will say to me something like, "Why don't you go get." job <laughs> so yeah and um, you know and i think that you know we're just hanging around hippies you know doing nothing these are you know real normal serious people i work they work we make time for it we've decided that this is important you know we're going to prioritize it we're going to make some time whether it's a half an hour a week or an hour a week We're going to try and show a little film in our locality or, you know, whatever the little thing is. 40 people come into meetings and bring people together. And so it was really, really interesting for me to hear how they'd done it and how quickly they'd had success. It was really, really amazing. I don't know what you guys thought of that first panel. It really blew me away.
0: Absolutely. That was one of the highlights for the conference for me as well to hear from all of our chapter coordinators. And, you know, my job as World Beyond Wars organizing director is to be communicating with them every single day and helping them with their events and campaigns. But to be able to come together in person, finally, and meet everyone in person and really share those stories was definitely inspiring and, you know, keeps me going with this work. And I think one of the great things about World Beyond War is that you can engage on so many levels as you were getting at. You know, If you um, only have a half an hour of time, you could do some online sharing and you know, share our petitions on social media or help us with various behind the scenes tasks like databasing petitions um, or helping us with research for our fact sheets, which we produce. Um, Or if you want to be more sort of outgoing and a people person and dedicate more time, then you could organize a chapter which involves organizing events in your community as you were saying. Um, Often our coordinators start with educational events just to start talking about these issues in community with others and raising awareness. So by showing PowerPoint presentations and videos which we have already created for them. Um, And just can help sort of connect people with the resources that we have and, you know, teach them how to put together an event using those resources.
2: I'd like to uh, play a song. This was sort of our theme song from the conference. And this is a band called the Cranberries from Limerick. Let's kick it off right here. speakers was Mairead McGuire who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1976 and for me it was such an honor and privilege to meet her. I did not know her story at all. I just want to say a, a minute of, about her background because after going back home I read up on her. So she's from the north of Ireland, she's Catholic Irish which means she grew up sort of as, as a minority in this area And the key event in her life, uh, very tragic, is that her sister's three children were killed in a car accident by an escaping IRA member. And this triggered her and several of her friends to form a group. She wasn't really about taking one side or another. She was about stating that this is a tragedy and this is killing innocent people and this needs to stop. So her focus wasn't on this side is right, this side is right. Her focus was we need peace. So that was 1976 that she won the Nobel Peace Prize. It was before then that this all happened. Now, many years later, we had the honor of of hearing her speak. And to me, she was sort of the opener. She was the, the big opener of the conference because once she spoke early on the first day, we, we were off. You know, we we were going. So this is just a couple of minutes from what she said. Um, not really easy to hear, but I, I hope it's legible. And if it's not, the transcript of this speech is on on our website. Just search for her name.
3: How many countries have we by facilitating the USA NATO forces going through Shannon Airport helped to destroy? Ask the people of Ireland, how does this sit with you? I have visited Iraq, Afghanistan, Palestine and Syria and seen the devastation and the destruction caused by the military intervention in these countries. I believe it is time to abolish militarism And solve our problems through international law, mediation, dialogue, and negotiation. As an alleged neutral country, it is important that the Irish government ensures that Channel Airport is used for civilian purposes and not used to facilitate US military occupations, invasions, renditions and war purposes. The Irish people strongly support neutrality, but this is being negated by the use of Sherman Airport by the U.S. military, Ireland, and the Irish people much loved and respected around the world, and seen as a country that has contributed much to the development of many countries, particularly through education, arts and music, however that history is endangered by the governments accommodating the US military in Shannon Airport, also by its participation in NATO-led forces such as the International Security Assistance Force in Afghanistan. Ireland's neutrality places it in an important position and arising out of the experience in peacemaking and conflict resolution in Northern Ireland, where I come from, and at home, it could be a mediator in general and complete disarmament and conflict resolution in other countries caught up in the tragedy of violence and war. It also has an important role in the upholding of the Good Friday Agreement, and helping with the restoration of the Stormont parliament in Northern Ireland because we in Northern Ireland must restore our parliament, must build the trust and friendship in Northern Ireland and solve our ethnic-political conflict in the north of Ireland and take down our walls in Belfast. I'm very hopeful for the future and I believe we reject militarism in its entirety as the aberration and dysfunction in human history. And all of us, no matter what area of change we work in, can unite and agree we want a demilitarised, unarmed world. We can do this together if we unite our voices together, no matter what area of work we live in, if the vision becomes a demilitarized world, we can do this, and we will be a serious threat to those who believe that the future is a highly militarized, divided world. Our vision is different, and our vision can work only when we unite each other, Let us remember, in human history, people abolish slavery, piracy, and we can abolish mothers more. And relegate these barbaric ways to the dustbin of history. And women can play an important role. This is about nurturing and looking after and looking out. For all the children, all the men, all the women, all the children in the world, women play a great role here in compassion and building peace and love. And you can't stop love. We never ask, does love exist? We all know love exists. <laughs> it's the power of love, isn't it? In this very room we all know what love is. And when people say, peace isn't possible, I say, is love possible?
2: It's probably even nature. So is bass. Okay. Any thoughts on that? Were you able to hear that well? Yeah, I heard it well. Moderately.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm probably better at understanding the Northern Ireland accent as well. Have a little advantage (laughs) over you. (laughs) Um, no, I, I actually missed part of her speech, just running around a little. She's a great speaker. She actually didn't have a single note. She didn't have anything written down. You know, she she spoke from the heart. Um, and it was really, really powerful. Like, exactly like your, your introduction said at the start, Mark, that, you know, she um, rejected militarism and, and, and won the, the Peace Prize in 1976 because, you know, no side is right. But it's also... Well, she's, she's right in that. Uh, the violence, you know, becomes just a tit for tat. You know, yep. my uncle was killed here. I'm going to take my revenge. You know, it's just blood revenges that go down through the generations. Um, and in the end, it's nobody. She, uh, Maraid is right. Like, no side is right. Nobody is left with any moral integrity after, you know, a few over and backs of killing each other's children and uncles and brothers and sisters there are no there's no moral high ground in it, war it must all go it must all be rejected it's a grotesquery. you know it's not necessary for the the organization of of our, of our world at all in fact it, it hinders our progress you know we don't need competition No, oh, let's fight over this piece of oil let's fight over a little bit of water here you know we actually need to cooperate together. We need to work together. We have some very large issues uh, in front of us at the moment. And just thinking on very small nationalistic levels uh, isn't going to take us very far. You know, as Edward Horgan said at one stage, you know, he he said, you know, I'm a Clare man, I'm an Irish man, and he went, I'm a European. But he said, you know, my overriding connection is that I'm a human, you know, and not to just be trying to get one over our neighbours all the time. You know, there are other ways that the world can be organised and war is not a helpful institution. It, it doesn't help us move forward at all. So I'm um, the stance she took in the 70s was right and it's still right. And she still speaks as passionately and as well informed as she ever did. And I was so honoured to meet her. It was a really wonderful experience to see her there and hear her speaking.
0: Yeah, reading through the conference evaluation forms, her speech was definitely a highlight for all of the participants. And in addition to her her speech, she also marched side by side with us on the way to mm-hmm. Shannon Airport. And I thought that was really powerful. And you can view photos of that march on the conference webpage if you go to worldbeyondwar.org/slash no war twenty nineteen. Um, And that page has all of the photos and the videos and PowerPoints from the conference.
1: Yeah. One thing she said there that was interesting, you know, that Ireland could be like a peace ambassador for the world involved in mediation and things like that. Like, I would love to see that happen. I would love Ireland to become a beacon of peace. There are others in the world, but the more that there are, the better. Like, I don't understand why Ireland is trying to get on the United Nations Security Council. Being supported by the Saudi Arabians, and you know, I would prefer us to be trying to get on the peace council, you know, and try and guide the world in another direction. So, uh, I think she's right. Ireland does have um, Ireland could contribute uh, really in a beautiful way to the world in helping making peace become a reality. And I'd I'd love to see Ireland take that road in uh, supporting you know the the abolition of war. It's it's not the way forward.
2: Well, it is worth mentioning, though, that, as Mireille mentioned, the Good Friday Agreement, in some sense, Ireland is already a beacon of hope. Because you, the people of Ireland, were able to end the horrible, horrible conflict that killed so many. And that peace has been holding up, right? It
1: it, it has, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, And we'd like it to continue to hold up. Um, uh, Our, uh, definitely, look, uh, some very large steps were taken over many decades. Um, Maraid was involved in it uh, and many other politicians and important uh, community leaders uh, over the years in Northern Ireland who just stood up and said, no, you know, this cannot continue. Um, not for one side nor the other side. We, You know, we have to live here together. We cannot just continue killing each other. It, it, it's important to find people with, you know, the moral fiber to stand up and say that.
2: Yep. And really, Mairead's whole speech was about hope. It was a positive vision. She was talking about the role that women must play, and then she said, we all know that love is possible. When somebody asks, is peace possible? I say, is love possible? Um, (laughs) Actually, I think she said it much better than I did. I just mangled her words, but um, something along the lines of we know, we know because we know how we relate to each other that peace is possible. You, Bari, are expressing that Ireland should be more of a beacon. I already have thought of I mean, I've read books about the Good Friday Agreement. And boy, does does Israel and Gaza and Palestine need a Good Friday Agreement? Does Kashmir oh, yeah. need a Good Friday Agreement? Really, like South Africa, Ireland is, is something of a success story. And let's just keep building on that.
1: Exactly, yes. Yeah, that's where... Um, the erosion of those steps is is really a, a most worrying development. You know the the support for Pesco in Ireland. Uh, you know, like we're we're committed to now up to six billion euros a year to this European army. I know these numbers are tiny uh, to any American listeners out there, but these are big numbers in Ireland. Um, You know, in 10 years, that's 60 billion. When we just had the financial collapse 10 years ago, our entire bailout was 60 billion. And they Mm -hmm. told us our our grandchildren will be paying for this and generations. And now we've just signed up to it willy nilly uh, again for somebody else's army. You know, where's the money going to come from this time? You know, uh, are we going to lose more teachers jobs, more um, hospitals closing, less nurses, less money for training. Um, we have made huge strides, and yet we're also beginning to take, you know, some sidewards and backwards strides as well. And it, it's really important that people begin to, you know, stand up like murade you know, and make their voices heard. Uh, the, the government at the end of the day, are they're practical people. All politicians are practical people they they like their jobs they like that life and they'll do what they have to do to get a vote you know if they see that people really want ireland to be a peaceful country they'll come around you know but it's really up to the people just to stand up it's a very simple message you know we don't want to support wars you know
2: i think that's a good intro to the next clip i'd like to play and this was a real um highlight for me i did not i have never heard of john mcguire Sorry, were you the one who found him? Who who is he? Yeah, yeah. Is uh, he <laughs> <laughs> he um,
1: is. Uh, I'm not quite sure of his title in Afri Action Ireland. It might be the chair, might be the director. I'm not 100 percent sure, but he, he he's um, well established in Afri Action Ireland. Who are not just an anti-war movement. They they do a lot of work on. Um, the environment and fracking in ireland and things like that as well mm-hmm. uh, he, he's a really lovely man i i got him involved i've run two much smaller conferences in ireland over the last few years for world beyond war and um, he was involved not last year but two years back uh, An absolutely wonderful speaker really um, you could listen to him all day
2: the segment i'm about to play was very moving for me as I try to do with this podcast, I think it's important for us to sometimes just sort of take a step back from the direct issues we're, we're working on and think about the deeper psychological and emotional and philosophical issues that, that come to play. And, you know, maybe that's why I, I responded so emotionally myself. I mean, I, I definitely had tears in my eyes as I was listening to this maybe just because as you'll hear he quotes artists and he quotes philosophers and um you know he he um he was also at the march at shannon the the following day and i remember he he took the megaphone and sang a paraphrase of a gilbert and sullivan song um (laughs) to to, he had written different lyrics um so he's clearly a um a you know renaissance sort of person So with that said here, I'm going to play John Maguire's remarks.
4: Vasily Kandinsky, the painter, the Russian painter, he wrote an amazing article in 1903, and the title of the article was And. Oh, that was the title of the article. And in it he expressed the hope that the 20th century would be the century of and rather than the century of either or. I wonder how that turned out. Uh, he didn't live to see all of it, maybe, luckily. And that resonates for me with a debate. I cover some of it in what I say here, a debate that happened uh, in Ireland in the 1950s. And that was a debate raised by one of my heroes. We've talked about Dorothy Day. Another of my heroine heroes is Louis Bennett, L-O-U-I-E, a feminist, member of, founder member or early member of Wilpth, a pacifist, worker for Irish independence and a trade unionist. And in the 1950s, she asked, what are the implications of allowing in foreign direct investment? Are we going to end up being militarised? And Sean O'Fallon, the novelist and ex-freedom fighter, he had been involved in the independence struggle, told her, don't talk such nonsense. We live, and these are exactly his words, we live in an either or world. We've got to make a choice and we have to uh, join the anti-communist world, and then we'll prosper. Okay, Um, I'm editing out a little bit there where I wanted to talk about some of my own experience as a child and my encounters with the tradition of the old IRA, etc., and I won't go into that. Uh, But I'm very interested in the embarrassment we feel, and that I feel now, in talking about ourselves in not talking about the world not talking about war but talking about our own experience briefly I was on the march with my father a troubadour not a fighter uh, going to the unveiling of uh, a monument to the IRA and this little 7 year old boy looked up and said but these are just men who have put on guns and I've never completely fathomed the insight that little boy had but I think there was something profoundly working there Okay, and I think very often there are things working in our lives that we don't and perhaps we're unable to process. And I'm fascinated by the fact that the theme of limits has come up in almost every talk, in almost every session in the conference so far, fences, thresholds, limits. Now, we face unavoidably, I believe, limits in how much sense we can make of ourselves, how much sense we can make of our world. I don't believe the world is irrational, I think it's explicable, but none of us can actually explain all of our own life, all of the world, or all of what's happening between us. And interestingly enough, I'm not going to go into all the philosophers, we can discuss that later, who have spelled this out, but interestingly enough, when we reach the limits of our self-understanding and our understanding of the world, We're stupefied. The word stupid doesn't mean lacking intelligence. It means stunned, awestruck. We reach the limits of our language. We reach the limits of our ability to understand our world. Now, I don't think that that is a problem to be solved, and I don't think there's a something to be grasped there. Trying to grasp a something there, I think, is the wrong reaction. I think what we need to do is lo- loosen our grip. But there are two agencies that come along, two agencies, and they offer to carry us beyond the threshold, beyond the limit, beyond our inability to understand our world. And to me, those are a certain version of religion. I'm a post-Catholic agnostic with huge respect for true religion, okay? I'm talking about hierarchical, patriarchal religion, and the other is the military. Notre Dame, Navy. Notre Dame, Navy. I'm reminded, I'm skipping over so much, but anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, I'm reminded of a wonderful radio talk on the BBC World Service by Bassem Youssef. Some of you may know of him. A wonderful um, Egyptian comedian and heart surgeon. That's what we need, a heart surgeon with a sense of humour. Isn't that right? (laughs) That's that's, that's what we all need when we're in ill health. Bassem Youssef used to run a very controversial TV talk show up to 2014 in Egypt. I don't think he can even live in Egypt now, but what he says in this uh, talk is I suddenly realised that I wasn't going to keep on worrying about How does the religious hierarchy relate to the military? They're both in the same game. They're both at the same thing. And in the context I'm talking about, they are carrying us beyond our world, our personal worlds, our social worlds, even our ecological world, hierarchy, militarism, the thrill of militarism. It's a poison. And I don't want to spend too much time pointing out that poison in the great leaders we have. I want more to begin to understand what is it in me that stuns me, that stupefies me, that doesn't let me, as it were, grapple with the fact I have four grandchildren, and they are being taught to sing. Soldiers are we. That's the first sentence of the Irish national anthem. I've got an alternative. Soldiers are we. But I, I I, won't claim the copyright. I don't think I'll make much money uh, out of that.
2: Does that strike a chord with you all as it does with me? Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, he, he touches on, on many points there. Um, like at the start, he, when he's talking about when he was a young child and they went to see the statue and, and he realized, you know, that it's just a man with a gun. I was moderating that panel, uh, and I was sitting beside him, and his comment uh, immediately made me think of the Liam Clancy song, The Waltzing Matilda. Mm -hmm. Uh, I won't read all the lyrics now, but there is a line in it, you know, where, and they put a tin hat on me, and, you know, away I went to war, and, you know, that's just the, the flimsy sort of preparation that, you know, the... The falseness of it all you know these are just ordinary people with guns not all necessarily in there for the love or the thrill of war many of them conscripted or forced or you know paying off loans and all uh, so like yeah that particular image of the, the the when he realized that they're just men with guns reminded me of Liam Clancy uh, and that wonderful song if listeners don't know it go on YouTube uh, type in Liam Clancy waltzing Matilda Um, and he talks about the thrill of militarism if you keep listening to that song um it goes on to tell you that there is a fate worse than death um and there isn't much of a thrill in militarism when you really look at it well just listen to that one song and uh you'll be converted there's 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 nothing good about war it's it's irrelevant and counterproductive but now he's a wonderful speaker and just touched on so many topics in such a short period of time.
0: Yeah, his holistic look at militarism, I think, is very much in line with the mission of World Beyond War and the fact that we were founded really to look holistically at the institution of war and a core part of our mission is education to debunk the myths of war which is what John is getting at in his speech the myths that you know that war is is necessary and that it is moral and um, all of these kind of connotations that are surrounding war and that's the core mission that we're getting at with our online courses and our webinars and this podcast and our fact sheets and our conferences is really debunking that myth that war has to exist.
1: Yeah, and okay. even even when he pointed out that the first line in the Irish national anthem is "Soldiers are we," mm-hmm. um, you know that was sort of pointing out the insipid nature of war that that it's everywhere already. You know, you turn on a sports game. And, uh, you know, they bring on the replacements towards the end of the game and the commentators will say, you know, here come the big guns or Ireland are sending on the artillery. You know, it's just, it's accepted now, this type of language. It's it's everywhere. So I was really happy that he pointed out, you know, uh, how it's in the national anthem and how it's just all around us and it's around us, you know. It's like a fish. A fish doesn't see water. It doesn't even realize it's surrounded, but it is surrounded by water. Once you realize it, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to not see it. Then I see it everywhere now. I, just yeah. see, I see it touching educations, hospitals, health, roads, trains. I see the disruptive nature uh, of it, even in a peaceful country. You know, a, a Western European, that's a, that's a rich country. Uh, you know, and it's there. It's hollowing out our country, too.
0: And that really gets at the need for a culture of peace, which is the third strategy that we talk about in our book about the alternative global security system that we need. And one of those components is that cultural work, that cultural transformation.
1: Just about celebrating peace, you know, and like we spoke about the shoes and the symbolism, you know, and the importance of symbolism. Like you take it, uh, boycotting came from Ireland. You know, we... uh, uh charles captain charles jeffrey boycott i can't remember the exactly his name he was an absentee landlord english landlord extracting too much rent as was the way back in the day uh you know when irish people were dying were emigrating etc uh, etc et we stopped dealing with him you know we wouldn't buy anything from him uh, and that was the first boycott that's what boycotting is you, you just don't deal with this person anymore and he eventually left ireland you know Like, we celebrate the 1916 rising in Ireland, the the 1798 rising. Why don't we celebrate uh, boycott? Why don't we have, you know, some sort of a festival there every year? This is our greatest export, you know, like... Uh, This is used around the world. Is there a single thing that Ireland's exported uh, that's more commonly used? I'm not 100% sure. And it's never mentioned. Why is that not celebrated? Why do we have to talk about a failed 1916 rising? We didn't win our independence through violence. We won it at the table. We won it politically. We won it mediating and through dialogue. Stop celebrating the stuff that failed. It was a failure. End of story. Sorry.
2: Sorry. that's amazing. And I wish you had said that at the conference, because that's actually a great point uh, that Ireland actually did invent the boycott. I had read that as well. And when you think about the fact that Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks kicked off the most, one of the most successful and historic movements in history, um, that was a bus boycott. Exactly. You know, wow. so like this, it's a nonviolent. People
1: say peace can't work peace does work non-violent actions do work they have more lasting effect um, than, than than treaties signed through violence you take it the good Friday agreement that we’ve spoken about that came through peace there was nobody forced to sit down at that table right. you know so uh, you force somebody to sit at a table and you force them to sign something see how long that treaty lasts
0: you know. I can't help but not mention our Peace Almanac, which is exactly about this. Our Peace Almanac is a daily calendar, 365 days, where we share the stories of peace that have happened throughout history. And you can see the calendar if you go to worldbeyondwar.org slash calendar, and you can download it and every day read a story about the successes of a peace movement.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, the Peace Almanac's fantastic, all right? Yeah, I, I really think that's a great a great resource that's been developed now.
2: Well, I wanna mention the, the other thing that to me was exceptional about what John Maguire was saying was he sort of forgives all of us, forgives, forgives humanity for not being able sometimes to grapple. You know, I think that's the word he used when he says, we are stupefied. And when he stands outside himself as a seven-year-old, he's looking back at the seven-year-old. It's sort of saying the seven-year-old had some wisdom that was then lost. And now here he is, an older man, trying to regain that wisdom he had when he was seven years old. I think it is it is important for all of us to realize that we're fighting against the limits of our own imagination and that we, we have to forgive, forgive ourselves for not being perfect um, and for not being able to immediately come to the right answers because that will help us. So I want to play one more. This to me was a, a very powerful speaker also from Ireland and this was you, Bari. Um, I'm just gonna play two minutes of you and I thought you, you um, really kicked butt up there as a speaker. You, it is a great way to close the conference. So here we go, Barry Sweeney.
1: So don't be telling me they make us money. They don't make us money at all. And even if they were making us billions, is blood money good? Is that allowed? You know, like for how many centuries did English soldiers come here? I don't think they were particularly bad people, but it was a job, and they came, and they killed us. Is that, is that reason enough? What, oh, it's a job, oh, that, that's fine. It doesn't matter what color the blood is on the money. It's just crazy, Um, and the reality is the government here really wants to scare people. Tarek and Ken are a perfect example. They want to scare people. They want you to think that you have no power. They want you to think that you are an ant. You are nothing. From the WikiLeaks cables that came out, I think it was 2006, I can't remember exactly, We found out that the uh, US government, US army actually offered to stop using Channel. They said, Look, there's too many protests, it's too much hassle, we'll go. The Irish government said, No, don't go. We don't want the protesters to know they won. (laughs) They don't want you to know. We won. And that's the reality. We have the power. Don 't listen to their rubbish. We can do anything we want. If you think of any change that's ever happened in the world, um, like Rosa Parks on the bus in America, that's one woman, And she started a whole entire uh, campaign. You look at the, the suffragettes in upstate New York. That was six women having a cup of tea and a cup of coffee. Six women. Don't think you're Goddamn, aunt. don't listen to their crap. You think it's seatbelts belts in cars. That campaign, that Ralph Nader campaign, not safe at any speed. How many people were in that campaign? Not many. And they took on the car industry, not a small industry. And they won. You look at smoking in, in airplanes, taking on the airlines. Who was that? That was Ralph Nader again. Any social progress that has ever happened has come from us. It doesn't come from the politicians. They want to keep it the same. If you want to see change, it is up to you to stand up and act. You people here have acted. You have come. You people at home, you need to act. You need to stand up. You need to believe in yourself. You need to know your power. They will do anything. Politicians like their job. They like their lifestyle. They want to keep their lifestyle. They're very practical people. They will do anything for your vote. What you need to do is tell them what you want.
2: <laughs> I, I had to leave in your sort of nonverbal utterances at the end. Of that, really. <laughs> yeah. Communicating very well. In fact it related to me to what you know others were saying about how hard it is to talk about this and sometimes just mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but that's it.
1: Well, I I thought actually your last point, sorry, about I see a connection here between what you said about um, John Maguire's speech about the self-forgiveness and what I'm saying about people needing to get involved. You know, some people, sometimes people beat themselves up so much that I should have done this and I should have done that. And and they kind of cripple themselves. They waste all their energy. They tear down their their own self-belief. You know, so Just learning how to communicate with yourself and and forgive yourself frees you up to to be you and to accept you and to have the energy that's inherent in you to to face whatever particular problem jumps out at you. There's a myriad of problems, you know, there's something that will jump out at you. It will free you up to be you and to contribute to a better world. And I think that it's really important that people are nice to themselves, you know, that they don't beat themselves up from morning till night. I, I wouldn't let my cousin or a friend tell me I'm an Egypt from morning till night. So I don't do it to myself either. You know, I don't, I don't pull myself down. People shouldn't pull themselves down. Um, they're too important. They're too precious. And they should treat themselves as if they're a piece of treasure because they are a piece of treasure.
2: Yes, yes. I would, I would even say this is, at least speaking for me, this is why I'm an anti-war activist because I know it's good for my soul, and I know I'm helping the world, but it's the only way I want to live. It's it's important for us.
0: I think for me, what stood out from that clip from Bari's speech is kind of the way that you were defining organizing, and that is my, my job, is organizing. So I think about this all the time, but I think you described it well, which is that our politicians, our decision makers, are not going to just change a policy because they you know they think it's morally right to do that Um, it's you know when we're organizing the concept is that we're using mass people pressure as you said to tell the decision makers to tell the policymakers what we want so we're not going to convince them with just facts alone or try to make them think that that's the right thing to do but really to use that organized people pressure
2: yeah yes well, I just want to give a shout out to all the other people who were involved in making this conference happen. So many people. Um, so I hope people will go to our YouTube videos or our Facebook videos and, and check out some of the other stuff that we only included a few clips here because that's all we had time for, but there was so much more.
0: Big thank you to Bari, our Ireland chapter coordinator, who really was the backbone of organizing this, our fourth annual global conference, the first time in Europe. It took months of organizing and people don't see that, all that behind the scenes work that Bari was doing, running around and getting office supplies and making sure the venue was all set up for the event. So just a huge thank you to Bari and to all of the volunteers who helped to make the day run smoothly and to run the registration desk. Thank you.
1: Yeah. No, I'm delighted it went well. And yeah, I wasn't alone. Plenty of people were helping me, so I'm I'm very appreciative of all the help and everyone who's involved with today. Uh, it was really a wonderful experience to be involved in.
0: so much for listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war.